podcast where today we're going to be talking season two of The Boys. I'm one of your hosts and Jack of All Trades, Mono, and with me is my co-host and master of none, Kira. Steve! This week we're mostly going to be ranting about season two, episode two, proper preparation and planning. And here's our spoiler warning as we talk comics and we talk ahead in the show. This week's episode, the writer was uh, Rebecca Sunshine, who we've seen a couple of times before. And the director was Liz Friedlander, who started out in directing a lot of music videos. Yeah. And moved on to, she's done about 30 odd different TV shows. Uh, Mostly like teen drama, because that's a very specific style. Yeah, there's a lot of like One Tree Hill and like 90210 and Melrose Place and stuff like that. Melrose Place? Teen drama, Melrose Place? Yeah. What? No. No? Why not? No. Melrose Place was Melrose Place a spinoff of um, Cheers? No, it was a spinoff of 90210. Melrose Place, was yeah, it? Yeah. I don't think it was. No, I guarantee I'm you it was. I'm pretty sure it was a spinoff of Cheers. It def- no, Fraser was the spinoff of Cheers. With Heather Locklear. What? Melrose Place had Heather Locklear in it. It was in the it, mid-90s. It was, it was not a spinoff of Cheers. It was a spinoff of Cheers. I, I'm telling there you There was this Melrose Place reboot. God knows how that fucking worked. That's the one she worked on. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's not an offshoot of 90210. Okay. All right. Well, I tell you what. I'm going to read the summary, and you can look up Melrose Place. I am looking up Melrose Place, and it says classic serial drama around a group of friends living in Melrose Place, California. Yeah. Well, then go to the trivia. I'm in the fucking trivia. So summary for this episode: Butcher is back, and Huey is only delighted. The girls of the seven have a media day, while the boys hunt a soup terrorist with a family connection. Homelander spends some quality time with Ryan, and the deep gets real with himself. Well. It is not a number one. They it's it's like they blow up a freaking apartment building in season three in it. Okay, well enough enough about that. <laughs> it's not. You're wrong. So yeah, as to the actual show that we're doing a podcast about. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, we have Butcher back at the start, and we get a little catch up. Yeah, it's um a a very very small sliver of the Butcher the short film. But we see writing him, day and everything he, he can, can remember. remember. Yeah. And he's sitting in the basement, staring at that lovely piece of graffiti, going down through yeah, the Yeah, looking over the note. Of, like, you can kind of see where definitely his priorities now are Becca, have always been Becca, and will forever be Becca. Oh, yeah. He has no recollection of the... Is there any flashback of the kid in it, that at all? No, he says later on that all he remembers about it is waking up there, seeing her, her and Ryan, and thinking that Homelander was going to kill him, and then waking up outside... Tommy Cicero's a few hours later. Yeah. Yeah, he's like looking over that and then decides he's going to go out somewhere. You've got Butcher being like, right, I'm gone, bye bye, see yeah. ya. Because they're all looking up in like the paper, they're looking up the stuff about Rainer's funeral because that's going on. Mm. And he's like, oh, I gotta go meet a contact. And that's when Huey's like, right, what's the contact? What's his name? Who the fuck is it? Because you just keep fucking us over. Yeah, Huey doesn't want to be left in the dark. Yeah, he's like, you left them all for dead, which he fucking did. Like, he basically threw Huey out and was like, oh, yeah, see you, bye. Yeah. And he was like, well, I trusted them to get themselves out of it. And it was like, no, but you you still left them for dead, which is true. Which is a shitty thing to do. Well, it's bullshit as well, because the only reason that they got out, they didn't save themselves. Huey and Annie saved them. Yeah, well, Huey and his ninth grade or seventh grade retainer saved them. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I knock the shit out your mouth. <laughs> I do. I do like Butcher's Butcher's defense of not killing Stillwell is I told you she was already dead when I blew her up. Yeah, I still intended on blowing her up, but yeah, yeah. somebody already, else. Yeah, somebody beat me to it. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a, a 
fairly short scene, but just storms off without really yeah. telling them anything. But you can see Huey's like Huey's trying to find out what the fuck is going on because he doesn't like being left in the dark, and all the rest of them kind of back down and won't meet his eye. They know they should have stood up to with him. Yeah. Like you do get Frenchie being like, "Well, I called him. That's the only reason he's back." But they all back down, and you can just see the defeat in his face. He's like, "Oh well, thanks, guys. I thought you'd had my back, but you know, yeah, fuck it's, me, I guess." It's one of the focal points of the episode. I think is yeah. the the tension between Huey and Butcher, and and kind of where the other boys lie in that argument. But also, it highlights how much Butcher doesn't tell them. Oh yeah, and, and he, that he's just going on with, along with her. He doesn't even tell them about Becca until much later in the episode, mm-hmm. and he only tells them because it's the only thing he can do to get them to keep coming with him. Yeah, he always has to have this like little like kernel. He like dishes out them out. He's- yeah, no, he won't. He won't. He parses out the information, and he won't give them any more than than he has to. Mm. And I'm not sure. Is it is it that he doesn't trust them, or is it just no, butcher it's a being shithead? Is, yeah, it's just butcher being butcher. Yeah, I don't think he trusts anybody. No. I actually don't think he trusts anybody. I think he's a paranoid fucking lunatic. Yeah. It's not even that he doesn't trust them. I think he just has that little regard for them or anything like that, that he just doesn't want. He's like, fuck it, no, you're a means to an end. Yeah, I was just about to say, he is the personification of the end justifies the means. It's yeah. butcher. And you see that throughout the first season and you see it in his actions mm-hmm. in this episode and across the rest of the season. Like, But he does he disappears off and we find out he's gone to Rainer's funeral which is okay fair enough he's paid the respects but you don't find out he's gone to Rainer's funeral though because it cuts to Rainer's funeral and you, you guys oh, see yeah. Grace Mallory sitting there paying respects and as she kind of pans across all the floral arrangements one catches her eye and it's the edible arrangement with the uh, chocolate dipped pineapple doves <laughs> something like that and yeah. she knows exactly who it's from and the look of disgust on her face like she sees it and she's like oh for fuck's sake well, I think she's and she's like, "Oh, he's here." Either he's here or he's aware of it. No, yeah. Well, I don't yeah. think I don't think he and I don't think Butcher went to the funeral to pay respects. I think Butcher went to the to funeral, funeral because to, he knew Mallory, Mallory was going to be there. there. Yeah. So it's Rainer's funeral. It's very sad. It's the end of a character who was quite fun, didn't get enough screen time. I don't think. Well, yeah, we talked about that last episode. Yeah, it would have been nice to have more of her, but like, I am quite interested in seeing Grace Mallory because she does seem to be far more complex than the Mallory from the comic books. Hmm. She's a lot more complex than that. And obviously gender flipping her and making her her grandchildren, you know. Not to be callous, having a male lose their grandchildren doesn't feel like as visceral a loss as having a female lose her grandchildren. No, I know. I know what you're like, saying. It does have, it does do, so it's like, it does make her agenda far more vicious because she, you know, this is flesh of her flesh that she is avenging, yeah. for lack of a better word. Well, that's what he's trying to get her to do. He's trying to get oh, her yeah, back in. Oh, yeah, he's banking on it, yeah. Uh, he's, he's banking on her wanting to get some kind of revenge for Rainer or something for Rainer. And you can see she wants she wants none of it. No. <laughs> the first thing she well, does is try and report him to the federal agents next yeah, door. Yeah, no, I do like the fact that she's like, get out of my backseat, I'm the one who taught you that. Yeah. Like, you're not, you're not fucking with me. She's an incredibly striking, elegant-looking woman as well, which mm. having her... You know, when she's like, oh, I taught you this and you're looking at this like incredibly like sophisticated woman. You're like, no, no, you didn't. Yeah. That, that's, I think, part of her charm as well is that she doesn't look like the type of person who's involved in covert black ops. Yeah, she doesn't look like a field operative. No, not in the slightest. She yeah. looks like she should be hosting like a debutante luncheon somewhere in the South. Like that's, mm. that's the kind of look <laughs> I have for her. It's like she's, you know. Yeah. 
But I don't think she falls for any of it. Like, even when he says, I know who Rainer's killer is, she stops. Oh, and yeah. She's like, like, no, really? you don't. Really? And he's like, well, no, I don't, but I can find out. And I think there's just enough motivation for Mallory. Just enough to get her involved. She'd like to see some justice for Rainer. Yeah. And she, she realizes yeah. sue terrorists in America isn't a good thing. You know what I mean? So... Mm. Uh, you never really find out how much of a relationship she had with Rainer, which, you know, she did seem to have a great respect and was clearly at her funeral. Previous to you finding out who Grace Mallory is, you, when Rainer's talking about the Mallory files, she's like, nobody goes near them because everybody yeah. gets fired straight away. So even though she seems to be a fairly controversial character within the department, everybody seems to have an, an awful lot of respect for yeah. her. I reckon she was... Rainer was like her protege? Yeah, that Rainer was on the way up, maybe not... All not in the position she was in when they were running the boys the first time around. Yeah. And that somebody else would have been a deputy director and they would have been the person that were kind of giving the boys the orders <gasps> or the boys were reporting to and she might have been in that department or something. In my head, it's Mitch Pelagi from The X-Files. But... <laughs> Skinner. <laughs> yeah, it's Skinner. <laughs> but yeah, I think they are supposed to have worked together yeah. closely enough before. That's the that, That's the impression that I got. But even then, that's still not really enough for her. No, she and needs I actual concrete motivation. Like the last time she threw her hat in with the ring, in the ring with him, resulted in the loss of her family. Yeah, she's not going to take anything that he says on blind faith anymore. No, and she only gave him the bit of information at the end of season one to kind of get, get rid him of to him. Leave. Yeah, to get rid of him and to plead with them not to take the others down with them and he's this time such an asshole and she's like I thought I'd never see you again I said no he's like no you made me promise not to come to your house anymore and you could just see her being like oh for yeah, fuck's sake subtle, subtle but important distinction like her, her eyes just closed and you can see her kind of taking a deep breath and counting to ten in her head and being like right but it's it's not shown but in the end I think the thing that convinces her is he tells her as well that Becky's that alive Beck Becky's is actually alive, alive. yeah and whether either or whether or not super, or the other little bit of information which is like Homelander has a child and Vader keeping them contained somewhere yeah well yeah that, that's, that's probably quite interesting as well or probably something that interests her as well I wonder as well does she factor into her decision to fight like she, she clearly seems to be not too happy with what she created in Butcher she unleashed him. She put. She took Beetlejuice out of the box and she didn't put him away. But is Becca a way to put him back in the box? Yes. If if Mallory can get Becca and Butcher back together, does will that take him off the board? That's all he wants. No, but it might be enough from to her stop, point of view. Yeah, it might be enough to stop him on this mad Homelander crusade. Or if she he, might be enough to stop him. Yeah, like it might be like just give him his wife back. Fuck off. You can have any identity. Go live your life wherever. And maybe then he'll finally be done yeah because he knows like at this point he kind of knows that he can't get Homelander even though he would dearly love to I think that confrontation in Stillwell's house where he's like you know the realisation that he's willing to do away with Stillwell who at the time seemed to be the key to getting him Mm. and he would turn on her like that yeah maybe back off that just try and get what you can get Mm. and like no touchy (laughs) yeah and when we see him again coming back from the meeting with Mallory Butcher, oh, he's like, is. oh, I went to see the, the colonel. Yeah, he says... He, well, he says the colonel and Frenchie says it properly. <laughs> yeah. But to me, that's he just showed a, a little bit of his manipulative side coming out. He gets a little goes, bit desperate. No. When she's trying to walk off and you can see him kind no, of No, no, the following her. scene. Oh, right. When he's back. 
Oh, and he's just been a prick as well. He, because he comes in and he says, one of the first things he says is that he went to see Mallory. And that's not something normally, like the last time he went to see Mallory, he didn't even say who it was he was going to see. Yeah, he's actually volunteered information. He's volunteered which the information. anybody suspicious because that's not and something then, he normally And does. then Huey tries to get more information out of him. And he gives it to him with a big smirk on his face saying, this is the address that the, the soup terror, that we're probably going to find the soup terrorist at. And gives them this real shit-eating grin of like, look, now I'm sharing. I told the guys about going to see, you know? Yeah. And it just it just serves to, to undermine Huey. Like, that was his whole plan walking in there was, right, I'm going to give him the information, tell them what the plan is, and piss off Huey. Yeah. And it works. It does work. <laughs> and it is. I can understand Huey's frustration as well, because you've got somebody who has been acting one way and now is aware of the fact that everybody knows this and is, has changed tactics to make you feel like shit and to doubt himself. Yeah, I think he wants he wants to have everybody back in line as good little soldiers. Oh, yeah. He wants to put the band back together, but he's the leader. Yeah. I think throughout the episode, he realises the boy's like Huey has had an effect on the other two boys yeah and he's going to need to use a different tactic or use different tactics to get them to follow him they're not going to follow him completely well, blindly they like they used to well they have priorities as well now like Frenchie and the females still yeah. kind of have this relate this very sweet relationship going on where he does care for her obviously with everything else going on he can't dedicate the time to her he's not making her gourmet dinners he this does, season but he does stop as well like a bit later when they're busting into the place where the soup terrorist is is he stops and he looks at her and she looks a bit worried and he's like are you okay mm. so he's he is he's still conscious of it but like you say yeah. there's so much going on and his entire motivation is getting him back home to his family so he doesn't have like the last time the, the group was together they didn't have these distractions so mm. maybe he feels like he's losing his his control also a thought that's just occurred to me is has he ever led the boys was when it they, when the yeah, when the, after after what it's happened with Lamplighter's kids, either it seems to be Mallory. You know, he may have been team leader, but Mallory was commander. Yeah, and it, it does run for a while long. Like after what happens with Mallory's kids, things go on for like a couple of months, and then they get disbanded. But we don't know in this. So Mallory could have been the leader the whole time. Yeah, well, it is referred to. Her files are referred to as the Mallory files. Mm. But uh, then in the last episode, they kept referring to him as the captain. You know, Frenchie kept saying, we need Butcher as the captain. Oh, yeah, he's the f- he's Brian Epstein. He's the fifth Beatle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was really, really hoping for a spy- another Spice Girls reference in that. <laughs> like, yeah. just to tie it back in. But, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And those, like with Huey, you get a lot of Huey's frustration and Huey's anger. And the fact that he is very untrustworthy of Butcher, which is nice to see. Because, he, you know, he's not so blindly taken in by this revenge fantasy that he essentially had. Mm. He's now, you know, it's the harsh reality of what's going on. And it does seem to have gotten into the, the, as I say, the other two boys and gotten under their skin because when they... Well, they've been identified. Well, Frenchie hasn't because he's unknown. Every time (laughs) you see anything to do with him, it's like identity unknown. But they've been, this is the first time they've been identified. Like, they've actually been burned. They've been identified as what they are. Well, yes, the worst they've ever been for them. Yeah, Emma's career, like he, like that's the thing I always think annoys me about him coming back into it was he could have done more good as a juvenile corrections officer, (laughs) and instead now all these kids that he's been influencing to lead a good life, his face is plastered all over media. Oh yeah, they're all gonna be like, hey, shit, that's. (laughs) If he can do it. So it is, it's frustrating in that sense as well that, you know, it wasn't so quite so cut and dry and now they're in, 
in these ridiculous things where they do have the CIA after they've got the FBI after they've got rot and the soups after them. They, every yeah, every law enforcement agency in the country is is keeping an eye out for them. Oh yeah, so it's it's the worst they've it's it's ever been for them collectively as a group. And, and Butcher's just swanning in and out like nothing's yeah. gone fucking wrong. And, and Huey's there the whole time going, no, this is bad, guys. Like, we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't be letting him do this. And the, the scene after they find uh, Kimiko's brother as the soup terrorist. Uh, oh, Mouse, well, that's Mouse, the big... I think it's just what I'm going to call him from now on. That's, like, the big thing is that when they go to the address and they realise that it is his her brother. Yeah. Huey tries to stop Butcher shooting him. Yeah, no, and Butcher's it, like, no, fuck this shit, gonna have it. But that's when they all jump in and try and stop Butcher from, like, destroying him and to let him and Kimiko... It, well, it gives them the opportunity to slip away and have a reunion and we get a little bit of, like, what was going on and he seems to be fairly brainwashed and he tells a story about the superhero who came out of the sky. Well, that's a good bit later in the episode, I think. Yeah, but, but did, yeah. Could, could t- stop slapping me. That's not me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's a cat. I am not slapping her. Um, but they get to have like a little reconciliation and she finds out what's happened and he tells a story about the superhero dropping out of the sky and ripping people apart and just unleashing hail fire on everybody mm. and that the people, that the burning sun are fighting for the people and she's like, no, they're a terrorist organisation, they're bad. And he's like, nope, you're not my real mom. <laughs> he, like, yeah, he basically been, is like, you're not my dad and you can't tell me what to do. And flings her into a building and legs it. He's been radicalized, but it seems like the final kind of well, the straw also, that broke the camel's back in his radicalization wasn't anything that the Shining Light terrorist did. It was her the soup. It. No, it was the soup showing up yeah. to, to attack the Shining Light and how they, as usual, didn't give a shit about collateral damage. It also gives you a little bit more insight into her as well because that's when you discover that she has a form of sign language that she uses to communicate with him. Is that the first you see of it? That's the first you see of it because anything when she's with Mesmer and Mesmer is narrating it, he's just telling it you don't see her. Moving her hands or anything. Moving her hands or anything like that. He's just like, you know, she stopped talking and then it's never dealt with beyond that. Yeah, just because I'm so used to the character being mute in the comics. Yeah. And because we've watched the show through so many times, I kind of forgot that, yeah, this is the first time that that sign language appears. Yeah, that she has, that she does have a form of communication with him. But yeah, he basically is like, you're not my real dad. You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. And flings her into a building. Like literally into the building. Like Uh, through the wall. (laughs) Like not, oh, little like, and you fall off and splat. Like she goes into the building. What's kind of impressive is that it's all seems to be telekinesis that he has too. Is it? Yeah, it's like it is like telekinesis type. Yeah, he seems to have some form of. His hands seem to, to be the thing that like operate it. But he does seem to have to focus on it because earlier when he's throwing yeah. all the shit down on the boys, he's like pointing his hands at and like concentrating on the things he wants to do. Yeah. So it seems to be a bit of both. Well, if we were not given a timeline for a train running the V all over the world. No. If we say the events of the boys have been happening for like the last six months. Yeah. Of the show. Of the show. Like yeah. the, the actual show events from Robin stepping off the pavement to now is about six months. Yeah. Give or take. Then this plan seems to have been in action for maybe six months prior to that. Yeah, I don't think it was... If that, like, it doesn't seem like it's been in the works for a very, very long time. No. That it just seems to be a fairly new Homelander's genius idea. 
if you've only got had superpowers for the last year and you're still learning how to use them, it's not like Nakeeb who just blows himself up. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of like that, the Star of the Toad Spider-Man movies, where he's trying yeah, he's still to learn. Figuring it out. Yeah, yeah, he's still figuring it out. But, I uh, know, I do think the hands are definitely... They might be used as a focus, too. He's doing a little bit of a Scarlet Witch in the middle of it all. <laughs> but, well, from just from events later in the ep- in later episodes. Yeah. It's clear that his hands are important to his powers. Yeah. It's like a witch. Yeah. Yeah, no, he throws her into the building and then he runs off. And that's kind of like the end of their story arc. Well, she, no, she doesn't stay down for long. She then comes flying back out of, not flying, but comes out of that building and knocks him out. Yeah. And And you've got, the rest of the boys are in costume. It's like a costume store? I think it's a costume store or a party store or something. before. Yeah, before the guys have run, or sorry, when the guys have run off, we see the the, the aftermath of them climbing out of the rubble. Yeah, and And, Butcher uh, going for Huey, and that's when M.M. and Frenchie actually stand up for Huey as well. And you've got Huey trying to plead his case, which is, it's her her brother. If anybody could stop him. Yeah. It would be her. Like, what's the point in us, especially because he rocks in with a big fucking gun too. Well, I think he's, no, he's going to trank him. Oh yeah, because that works so well on superheroes because apparently they all have like really, really strong skin. Well, but that, that's the thing, at the start of that scene when they're going in, Frenchie says he's only got two rounds of, I can't remember what he calls it. Probably but, ketamine. But it's some, yeah, some trank. <laughs> that's what, that's what Billy shoots at him. But the point is to capture him because Huey says he, we don't want him, or we didn't want him to end up in a black side for the rest of his life separated from Kimiko. Yeah. The point isn't to kill him, and I don't think. And got their hands on him ahead of them as well. God knows what would happen then. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, with the effect then that, that Butcher tells Huey to fuck off. And uh-huh. the other boys are like, well, no, he's he's one of us now. And Kimiko is one of us now. Yeah. And and we can't just... Hell, Kimiko died to save Frenchie's life. Yeah. She actually died. Yeah. And then Huey risked his life and gave us that brilliant scene of him apologising while shooting everybody. <laughs> To go yeah, so back in both and of save them. them. Yeah. Both of them have laid down their lives to save Huey, or so say to save Frenchie and M.M. Yeah. And Butcher has fucked off on his own to finish off his own selfish plans and, and left them to die. He got Frenchie to blow up his own place. At least once. Uh-huh. <laughs> At least once. Yeah, he's gotten Frenchie to blow up his gaff. He's had all their cover, their identities burned. Yeah. Through his actions. He's put Huey's life in danger multiple times. Yeah, and he tries He tries the same shit that he tried with Huey at the end of season one. He tries to, like, berate them and shame them. And he says, you know, like, Huey's infected you with a case of vagina. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Is and the two of them... Like, he could be worse. He could have injected him with a case of fucking penis. <laughs> and they both stand there like, well, no, that doesn't... I don't care. Yeah. You know, and he... He realises, okay, that's not going to work. And that's when he tells them about Becca being still alive. Yeah, he's like, oh, here's this little tidbit and this is why I want this. And it's like, no, while this was going on, you weren't here. Like, I know he tells her about the deal that he's made with Mallory is that if he gives them them, he gets Becca back. And everyone's like, that's great, but that doesn't benefit any of us. You get what you want. But I think... Kimiko loses her brother. We, um, what about the rest of us? Like, do we just, you know, what, piss in the wind? Uh, Yeah. And I think it's lucky for them that he ends up being a terrorist. Because if he was, you know what I mean? If if he was, okay, you know, and listened to Kimiko and and decided not to to fight America, it would make things a lot more difficult for Butcher, you know? Yeah, because that would stop him. He'd be like, oh, he doesn't speak English. He probably could have used tongue or something like that. (laughs) He had to stop. Yeah, so in that sense, Butcher's lucky that he does turn evil. 
so that they actually can take him as a prisoner and mm-hmm. hand him off to Mallory, or the plan, you know, the plan can still go that way. Yeah, well, they end up they end up capturing him anyway after his punch up with Kimiko. Yeah, and you get Butcher then squaring off to Huey in the middle of the street and punching him clean in the face. And yeah, tells him if you ever come between me and my wife again, I'll fucking kill you. But the thing about that is, if he had told them when he came back straight away, they would have helped him. They yeah, they would have helped him, and Huey probably wouldn't have been as quick to jump in you know what I mean but if, if they knew if they yeah. go in if they went into all that knowing Becca's alive and we can help Butcher get Becca back things probably wouldn't have gone down the way they went down no so, and he just seems to think that if he tells them why he's doing it after the fact that that makes everything okay yeah so he's upset with Huey for cu- coming between him and his wife as he sees it but Huey he had no idea no. yeah he, all Huey knew he was doing was trying to stop you from separating Kimiko from her brother oh yeah and yeah he he flattens him with a punch and leaves him on the ground and gets into the van and he's kind of left sitting there for a minute deciding what he should do well he doesn't we were debating this during the episode you reckon he should have just laughed at that and gone off and done a few things with Starlight and just personal for personal taste I I would have preferred to have seen him walk and stand you know stand to his 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 guns yeah but he at the same time where is he gonna go yeah as you rightly pointed out he, like, there's nowhere he to go, go there's no one to go to he can't go home like what's what's Annie gonna do well Annie lives in the tower so Annie, she can't yeah. exactly put him up like Annie lives in the tower so he's fucked in that regard he can't go home because he's not got anywhere to go he and he doesn't know how to survive yeah no in, in the underworld essentially no, he clearly he doesn't. doesn't have a choice but to go with them. Yeah, and the, yeah, you're right. The only person he has is Annie, and Annie, Annie Annie can't put him. Annie's up. got enough of her own shit yeah, going just... on. And to be perfectly honest, she doesn't even really like him at the minute. She's no. like, you, she's kind of they're kind of using each other as well to further mm. their own ends. Like she wants Vaught taken down. Yeah, you know he's willing to help her. But at the moment, they don't have that kind of relationship at all because no. she doesn't trust him as far as she could throw him, and she could throw him pretty fucking far. And she has her hands full in this episode as it is anyway yeah. with uh, with the the media day the press junkets. Oh my god, that press junket thing just made me want to kill myself. <laughs> I can. I've, oh my god, I've never felt so sorry for anybody who's had to go through that. Yeah. that just looked so frustrating. I've never seen it represented so well, and I, I've seen and I've heard other people talk about it just in terms of like entertainment industry and that it is one of the most frustrating things that actors have to do. Apparently, is those like they've got. The you press know, junkets it was 90 10 minutes, seconds. 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Oh, a lot of times it'll oh, be even blurbs. shorter. It'll only be yeah. like, you know, two minutes and they have like four questions that they have to ask you and everybody wants to ask the exact same fucking question mm. and you have to seem like you give a shit. Meanwhile, over in... Meanwhile. Meanwhile. Over in Vaughty Land. We, um, we, we get introduced to Girls Get It Done. Oh my God. Girls Get It Done. We got three women in the seven. Yay. Yeah. So it's what it's Starlight, Stormfront, Starlight, Maeve and Stormfront, and Maeve, and Maeve's just like fuck this shit, I'm out. She gets a phone <laughs> yeah. call that's basically they're going through, they're walking through, and Ashley's like delighted, and she's like, "We've got this from this time," and then she's gone through the schedule, and that schedule just made me want to peel my own skin off because <laughs> it was like we have press junkets from like ten till twelve, and then we have like the news from like twelve till two, and then something else from two till four, and it was like hitting all the different media spots, and yep. it just oh god no. And Maeve gets a phone call. Number one, she's not got a phone in her hand walking through that scene. She pulls a phone out of somewhere. I reckon she's keeping it in the titties because that is every girl's pocket. There's no pockets on those outfits. No, but 
She she doesn't have like she has a skirt. She could have. She's like not a, got pants under that skirt. No, Where is she going to keep she a could have a holster. She Where? Her phone holster on yeah. her ties. No, that skirt spit all the way up to like her ass crack on both sides. True. So yeah. I'm reckoning it's in the titties because it could be. That's where we all keep shit. To be honest, she gets a phone call. It's basically a family emergency, and she leaves. And as she's like, "Where are you going?" Flips the bird as she's going. Yeah, as the elevator <laughs> doors close, yeah, she's like, "You can't go." And Maeve's response is, "Yeah, I yeah, can. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can." And Stormfront immediately turns around and is like, I also have a family emergency. And it's like, no, shut up. Come on. Stormfront in this episode confused me an awful lot because her whole attitude is that she's completely over it and she doesn't even want to be there. So why sign up to be in the seven? I understand she has ulterior motives having watched ahead in the show mm. and knowing more about her. But if coming into this in like for a first watch, especially not knowing anything about the character, let alone the fact that they've gender flipped the character and done all this other stuff. Yeah, this, yeah watching as like first time viewer you would be like why why is she like she she's critical of them and they're allowing her to be critical of them number one she just looks like she's 100% over everything she mm. she actually very rightly makes a comment about the fact that Vought doesn't let them have pockets and she's got like a little backpack mm. that she's going around with I was like yes true it just confused me as to her motivations. It's like, well, why would you join the Seven if you're going to do nothing but criticise them? Isn't that hypocritical? It might be the cynic in me, but like when we watched it the first time and I wasn't, you know, I knew what I knew about Stormfront from the comics and I wasn't sure how things were going to play out with her. In this episode, I was thinking the same things the first time we watched it, but the cynic in me just made me think, oh, well, that's... Like, you know, later on in the episode when she says to Starlight, when she's talking to Starlight about, you know, it's okay to let the mask down once in a while and just be you. Mm. That's as much Stormfront's mask. Like, that's her persona is... Yeah, but she the, also refers to Starlight in that same sentence as the Vought Barbie. Oh, I know. And her... she That's that's what she thinks Starlight's persona is. And her persona is the, the edgy outsider who oh, tells it like it is. Oh, my God, she's a neckbeard. She's a female neckbeard. She's an edge <laughs> but, but that's, that's <gasps> She runs her... around at home with a fedora and a longsword. Probably. But that's her That's her thing, is, is to be this disaffected youth who, you know, tells it like it is and mm. doesn't go in for corporate bullshit. But... It's... And she's from Portland as well, so it kind of fits in with that whole hipster persona. Mm. On oh, a yeah. side note, I love her boots. I want her boots really badly because <laughs> they've got these like little chap things, like leg warmer things going on over yeah. them. Because her uniform, out of all the girls' costumes, mm. hers looks the comfiest. And it's got some book coverage with the cape. True. <laughs> she looks like she'd be warm all the time. But... I would like to see if... I think that she doesn't get it. But I would love to have seen a sequence with her meeting with the costume guys mm. just to rip them to shreds. <laughs> well, we get, we do get a, a, a kind of scene like that in an episode or two when the Dawn of the Seven stuff starts to come into it. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think she's just, that's just her persona. Yeah. And that's just how she's choosing to portray herself because she knows that will make her popular. And I think Vod are okay with it, having her on the Seven because they're trying they know to that's damage what's... control. Well, I don't even think that they're trying to damage controller. I think they just, they know that's what's popular and that's what, that's what sells with people, you know, nowadays or she will fit that demographic. Starlight yeah. has the, the Christian Bible Belt demographic and now they're going to get the, the hipsters and the, the, the woke crowd. The anti-establishment. Yes. Yeah. It's what the capitalism does. The lipstick anarchists. It's what, but that's what capitalism does is it, it yeah. co-ops this, this anti-capitalist thing and sells it back to you. And that's what they're trying to do with her. 
you know, later on in the season, it becomes a lot clearer why she'd go on why the seven she's doing if what she's, she's doing. doing. But even that aside, yeah, I think it's just that's the persona that she's yeah. cultivated for herself. And she I lays think, it on. She does lay it on really thick this and, episode. And I think that's why I think Annie knows that a bit. She's laying it on really thick, and at the start, you can see Annie kind of looks up to her, and Annie tries to like be like, "Oh yeah, you're so cool," and she gets called the vaudiest vot that ever vot by Stormfront. Yeah. But then later on, when she tries to be like, hey, no, I'm not like that, you can see she's this close to telling her, Vought do some serious shit and maybe we should think about taking them down. But then she stops and she thinks better of herself mm-hmm. and she says, oh, it might be dangerous. And Stormfront's like, oh, you're fucking bulletproof. She's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, it's best not to bring this person on board. I think she does see a little bit of the fakeness, but hasn't yeah. worked it out yet fully. And of course, Annie has other problems. Yeah. Well, number one, okay, so when they're doing all the press junkets, there's supposed to be three of them, there's only two, and poor Ashley's like, yeah, we lost someone. Yeah. And you get the montage of them doing all this and hearing all the same questions again, and then Stormfront's finally had enough, and she's like, this is, you know, her bag rings, and she's like, yeah, they won't let us have pockets, sure, for fuck's sake, you can see it, basically see up into Starlight's uterus. Mm. And she's like, I don't care, you know, it doesn't make a difference whether or not girls or boys. And she does have a very good point about that, because it is, she is speaking to that side of feminism which is like just equality mm, it's chicks and dicks in it together as she yeah. says and that you know we don't want to be paid more or anything like that we just want to be treated as equals and it doesn't make a difference when you're super powered which one you have like it doesn't make you the weaker sex but as the press is going on and they're getting more and more run down they get the the surprise well you find out number one that Vaughn has covered up a train's heart attack by saying he's on a secret mission in Kandahar yeah and they're like, yeah, 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 that's where he is. And, you know, we pray for him every night because Annie's still pumping the whole Christian thing. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I pray for him every night. And they're like, well, he's behind you. And she's like, what? Q train. And Q train noise, Q A train. And you can just see the horror. All the blood just leaves Annie's face. Yeah. And there's the ringing in her ears as everything yeah. goes silent around her. Yeah. Annie, Annie's fucked. Well, Annie's like, oh, I'm fucked. <sighs> I'm fucked. <sighs> But there he is, and I'm actually amazed they let him run around that soon after having a heart attack of that magnitude. <laughs> yeah. Like, number, yeah, they're like, yeah, he's back. He's, you know, shot him out there. Fuck's sake. Yeah, we have we have a new superhero that we're introducing. But, yeah, you know, you sit down, sweetie, because look who's back. <laughs> like, cause if I was if I was Stormfront, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you crashing my gig? Haven't you? Uh, because it does basically co-op their whole press thing into a welcome back party for him. It does, and... Like, they have the macaroons with the A-Chain logo on them and stuff like that. And he has Prince's guitar. Because he's I'd like, say, I woke up and I bought it. And he's got all his, like, homies and stuff. I'd say the second A-Chain woke up, they wanted him back out in the public. Yeah. Because they've lost... Translucent. They've and lost the Translucent and they've lost the Deep and they've only recently had Translucent's funeral. Yeah. And they were saying for ages about Translucent, oh, he's off on a secret mission, oh, he's off on a secret mission, oh, he's dead. Yeah. So, oh, he died in in the line of service. Even though he's like one is, of the most unkillable ones. Yeah, if they're saying A Train is off on a secret mission, oh, he's off on a secret mission. Oh, he's awake. Get him the fuck out there. Yeah. So that you know what I mean. But I even like don't like zoom around. Well, yeah. Or short, <laughs> short controlled bursts. Yeah, I and I actually I really liked Jesse Usher in this episode. Yeah. A train is really fun in this episode because I was this expecting him to come in back. In general, he's actually a very, very fun character. Season yeah. one, he's got that junkie kind of thing going on where he's always like tense 
and mm. he's like, I can king of the world. I'm going to peel my skin off. Uh, yeah. Like he does, he's very much, he swings an awful lot. Whereas in this season, he's got his footing. He's a lot more fun as a character. Yeah, and I, I thought he was just going to come back and immediately try and fuck stuff up for him. No, he's But he's it's nice that he comes game. back and yeah, he start, it looks like he's trying to play the long game, find out exactly what it is and he's up to. Mm. And, you know, the couple of times he stops her and he asks her what's in her, her boot and what did she just get off? Gecko. Oh, poor what? Gecko. Apparently everything doesn't regenerate as quickly as we'd hoped. <laughs> yeah, chopping stuff off, fine. Uh, Testing shampoos, lasting damage. <laughs> At least they're not testing on animals. <laughs> yeah. It's about the only positive I could get out of that when he's like, oh yeah, they're trying some new conditioner and it's like, but they, what did they do? Squirt it directly into your eye? Apparently so. Yep. Like, would it not? Like, if it's causing that much irritation, just take the eye out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a good Maybe point. they did. Take the eye out and let it regrow. Maybe yeah. they did and he's just like, no, I can't walk around with like a hole in my face for like 10 days. Or he's not allowed to because they're studying the effects of it in the eye. Who knows? But yeah, but, he's provided Annie with the V... Yeah. And tells her, don't Very ever come nice back to me. Very nice handover, by the way. He put it in with like a little pouch that was like, whip, like it had some sort of like Femme Fresh or yeah. a period product title on it. And he had it in with a couple of tampons. Now, he could have hidden it in something a little bit better than just the actual vial. <laughs> yeah, probably. At but, least it was no, inside something. Smart handoff, give yeah. him that. And he's like, don't fucking come near me ever again, which I totally totally get because he's yeah. like here you go and he's like if you ever come near me again I'm going to tell them you're the one who fucking took it yeah. so if she ever she can't touch him now no that's probably the smartest thing he could have done yeah I'll tell them don't try you. yeah you've you've blackmailed me successfully once I'm not going to let you hold this over me again yeah yeah you come for me again and uh, fuck it I, I, I don't care what you do although she didn't them. really have the material to black well apart from the fact that he could grow, regrow the limb in that video you cannot see his face yeah, well, yeah. Of but, what we saw, you can't but see that face. It does teach Annie an important lesson because I feel she basically uses the same tactic on A Train towards the end of the episode. Yeah. When A Train bursts into a room and actually finds she has V. Yeah. And you think, oh, that's it. She's completely fucked. She basically says, nah, you, you try and go and tell them about that, and I'm going to tell them about what you did to Popclaw. Well, no, it's not that she'll tell Vod about what happened to Popclaw. Sorry, she'll it's tell that she'll the media. The world and the media, yeah. About what happened to Popclaw and about the fact that she had multiple needles stuck into her arm at the same time and some of them were so deep that they broke the bone that they actually were into yeah, bone. Yeah, it's, it's, the, the details are nasty, all right. It is, it's vicious. And thinking back on the scene, yeah, he does it so quickly. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a fun way to die. Uh, no. Yeah. She's you know, cold she's, as well when she does it. Yeah. She's getting good at the, 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 the cold extortion. But her all of her exchanges at the party, either with Gecko or with A-Train or with... Stormfront. With Stormfront. She's very kind of on edge with everything. With It's really nice though because after Gecko hands her the stuff and she goes to put in his boot and A-Train pops up and is like, where'd you put in your boot? when she moves to Stormfront's bag and you don't actually see her doing the switch off. No. For him to pat down her legs, which is just so uncomfortable looking. And it's like, dude, her boots are literally like fucking like spray painted on. (laughs) What is she going to hide in them? (laughs) Unless she's utilizing her secret ninja pouch, her regime. She's not put it and like where it under her wig. Like where is she going to fucking keep it? And he pats her legs down and it's just really, really uncomfortable. And he's like, oh, I'm going to get you. I know you're going to slip up at some point. And then you've got 
Stormfront rocking in because they have to go off and finish off shit. And as she's walking off with the bag of Rochelle, you just see the little pink bit of the bag yeah. sticking out of the corner pocket. Yeah, no, it's it's cleverly done. Um, it's very very small, but it's there. But so they go off. They do their thing that they have to do, and it cuts to her returning to her suite. Yeah. It's not a room, it's a suite. Oh, yeah. In Vaught Tower. Number one, she keeps that burner phone not in a very hidden place. She's like, oh, it's just in the armoire under the TV. Mm. Like, she literally just has it in a cabinet, and she's like, a texts Huey that they've gotten the stuff, and it's great. And she takes it out and she looks at it. I'm like, don't just keep it, like, fucking hide it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you I suppose... live in a building that is full of people with super hearing, super sight. They can see through fucking shit. Like, well, yeah, but I suppose at the same time, until A Train came back, she wasn't under suspicion anymore. No, but like, she... she had effectively been cleared. Yeah, and the only person who was supposed to be like keeping charge of her, keeping an eye on her, was Maeve. Yeah, because Homelander said, you know, she you're in charge of her. I don't think Maeve is doing much of a keeping an eye on, on No, Annie. well, Maeve is off dealing with her own crap that we'll get to in a minute. Mm. She texts Huey. She's like, I've gotten the stuff. I'm mm, freaking, freaking out. out. Yeah. What do I do? Text me back. And then A-Train just rocks up into her suite and is like, what's it? And he grabs a little page and he opens up and he's like, oh my God, you got V. And you can literally see the con like he's jonesing for it. I wasn't sure that that, that he was. But he does kind of look concern. at it like. There, yeah, there's a little, there's tasty, a little, tasty. a little bit of a glance, but it's yeah. not anything close to like when he was in Huey's apartment. Oh god! And no. Huey squirted it out onto the floor. And he was like this close to licking it off the dirty, dirty rug. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so he, he's beyond. And he's that. also he's twigged as well because he's like, oh, who are you texting? Is it your two-timing trader boyfriend? Like mm. he knows that she's. She's up to something. Yeah, he figures and, she's still up, still working with Huey, especially and, if she's got the V. And that's when she turns it on him and is is very goes just goes very cold and calm and. Well, I'm going to tell him about this. Yeah, and you can. You're see, not going to do anything. Yeah, when she's like, you're not going to do anything because you would have done it by now already. And yeah, you know, if you do, well, then I'm going to tell Sports Illustrated about this, and you can see a train's just like, fuck. I did not think this would go that way, and there's a, almost a little bit of a look of respect from him. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't think you had it in you, fair fucks. And yeah. she takes the, the V back off him, and she's right because she doesn't really have anything to lose anymore beyond her actual life. No, A Train still has yeah, like, all the fa- the fame and money, and that matters to him. And the endorsements and everything, and she's like, no, no, I don't give a fuck. Like, what else have I got to lose? She's like. I've been lied to my entire life about this. I've lost my family. I've lost my friends. I've lost, like, the respect of people. Yeah. Of my peers by wearing this stupid fucking outfit. Yeah, the, the, there's no connection to the old superhero community because Gecko is the nearest thing she has to connection to it. She really doesn't have anything to lose. She's lost faith in absolutely everything around her. You know, so all she can do is burn it all down with her. Yeah, and this is the start, well, like the stuff with Gecko last week and the stuff with they Train this week, this is the start of like kind of a darker turn for Annie. Oh, she is a woman scorned. And I'm not sure, like it, it, it progresses throughout the season and I'm in, I'll am i be very interested to see how they go with it in season three. Yeah. Because I don't want Annie to go too dark. Like, that's I, part of the charm of her, especially in season one. I don't think she will, because you still get, even in later episodes of this season, you do get the little lighthearted moments and mm. things like that. But it's just that she she won't, she's not cutting up with the shit anymore. 
Yeah, I just I don't want her to go too far down. The, she the, does the go butcher means justifies the end. Yeah. Um, well, she does. I think she does a bit this season, but then she kind of it gets reined back in. Yeah. Well, I she, think she we has can... that moment. I think, and every character, every good character, should go through that point where they go that little bit too far and go, "Oh fuck." Yeah, and I think it's a um, conversation. We this is a conversation we should revisit when Annie goes that little bit too that far. little bit too far, and then it gets rained back in because it's you see it in other shows. Um, if you watch The Expanse, there's that brilliant bit when they're hunting the proto. The, the weird mutant yeah, that's, thing that's done really yeah the, and that's the same thing then where he goes he loses sight and he's like just becomes and then it gets reeled back in and he's like shit mm. I'm sorry that's this season is kind of that moment for her where she's yeah, number no, one she's been saying. liberated I, I from, hope they rein it back yeah. in in season three and and give us more of the, the good Annie but as I say we can talk about that a bit later yeah, in the no, season I think they will because it, this is almost like a reaction to everything that's happened this is her going off the rails. Yeah, no, I get it. But we can talk about it later. But no, I think it will be more relevant yeah. in that episode. Like, But that's basically everything that's going on the with own, yeah. her this, in this episode. Well, that's all the, the real development, like big important plot points. Yeah. The only stuff we haven't talked about is the kind of, the little bit, the, the humanising character development stuff that we get from both Maeve and The Deep. Yeah. And I really like well, the Maeve stuff. Maeve, Maeve is interesting because Maeve goes off to a family emergency. Yeah, and, and it turns out. out that Elaine still has Elena still has her has Maggie Maggie Shaw as her emergency contact. Number one, can we give props to Mae for having a better costume? But she still stops to look at a fucking billboard of herself. <laughs> I was I was saying that when we were watching it, and like we get it, it's yeah, them. I we understand. Said, I understand it's a trope to be like, I, look, it's this person. It's just at least she doesn't take it out her sunglasses and look around all suspicious. Like I I. I I've said in the past that I, this this show doesn't try to dumb things down for the audience, and I hate when things get dumbed down for the audience. and And this show is guilty of a couple of things. It TV exposition happens a lot, yeah. But they do that where character is in uh, like civvy clothes, stops and looks at a, a poster or a big picture of themselves as the hero, so the audience knows this person with sunglasses on is the character you've been following for the whole show. It's like, I fucking know it's Maeve and I fucking know and it's Starlight. Know I'm it, not an idiot. Yeah, if you didn't know it was Maeve, the iron sweater would have probably given it away. Or two seconds later when we see her in the hospital without, without the, the glasses in the same clothes talking to fucking yeah. Elena, we'd have gone, oh, oh, that's who it was. But yeah. no, yeah, no, look, we, we fucking, we realised that, that it's Maeve, guys. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Elena <laughs> has had to have emergency surgery. She's still, I can't, I just, yeah, apologize. She's kind of confused as to why Maeve is there. You get into kind of a little bit of a deeper understanding of Maeve and Homelander's relationship. Yeah. Because Maeve tends to, Elena's like, she's trying to have a serious conversation about her being there and was like, hey, I'd love to take her to dinner. Oh, I've got, we can't do that. We have to keep it on the lowdown. Which is when you get the first real, you knew that Homelander is extremely possessive of Maeve. Mm. he's made numerous threats in season one about if somebody touched you wrong this or there or well he's made veiled threats about how he mm. couldn't handle if she left him for anybody else yeah Maeve then tells this story about a producer who sat now who switched yeah, switched seats, seats to be next to, and to talk to her all night and then there was a fire in his office the next week and his head was in one room and his torso was in another yeah and that she doesn't want that to happen to Elena and you can see Elena putting the pieces together and being like, holy fuck. She has to ask explicitly, like, do, do you mean Homelander did this? Yeah. <laughs> and Maeve, it's almost like Maeve doesn't even want to say it. 
She's like afraid to say it out loud that it'll make it real. Yeah, it's like she doesn't want to say the things that happened and Homelander did it. She doesn't want those words to be put together. But she's going on. She does have a bit of a breakdown in the in the hospital room, yeah. and it's like the things I've seen, uh, the things he's made me do. Mm. It's a progression from say, what episode is it in season one where the plane goes down? Four. From then onwards, you can see the fact that she is constantly questioning everything that's going on, and I'd say she, even from the the episode before that with the shooter. Yeah. Oh, that was my kill. Well, but from the, the the things I let you do to me. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> we're not even dating anymore. Yeah. But no, definitely from with the airplane. But yeah, from the air, definitely from the airplane. When on. he turns that, the second he turns that into a press opportunity, that's it for her, I reckon. Like you can see this, the, the disgust in her face mm. in that episode. But she is having a severe breakdown because like she clearly lives in constant fear of this per- of this person and like she can't have a relationship. She can't be herself. She has to hide who she is. Otherwise, who's going to fucking stop him? Nobody can clearly stop him doing mm. this. He's done this previously. The implication is that Vought have cleared up for his little tantrums. Yep. The Vought have gone in and cleared Yeah, because fire, fires don't separate people's head from their bodies. No. <laughs> Unless it's Herculaneum and that wasn't even fire. That was the hot gases. Popped yeah, their heads so, like corks. So fire but that is, was also a volcano. Yes. <laughs> so my point stands. <laughs> but but it, it, like for her to come out and say this and be like, this is why I want to keep you safe because I care a lot about you an awful lot. Well, that, know, that's, that's that's why and that's that's why she she did it and Elena's like why are you telling me this it's like cause so you can understand not what she says she says because I don't want you to hate me anymore yeah and that I thought was quite telling as well because Maeve uh, I'm guessing you know has started to completely hate herself for everything she's done and, and, and let happen well, in the comic book she's and, a raging alcoholic and she does seem to have drinking problems in this it's mentioned a mm. couple of times but she's a raging alcoholic because well I think it's the events in the comics it's the events of the plane as well yeah. that cause her to seriously go proper drinky drinky not live in the real world anymore at least she doesn't have orgies and I think now Maeve has realised that she can't live in her fantasy world anymore no and she's realised how much she heard Elena in the past and probably knows that she can't do the same thing again so she figures that, well at least I owe you the truth and then maybe you won't hate me and then at least you won't hate me even if I hate me. It's that kind of thing. I can't but it live really, if you hate me. Yeah, it was it was just really nice to see because they teased it a little bit in the first season and yeah. we get a lot more Maven Elena in this season and just it was it was nice to see the this kind of not rekindling but like rebuilding of their relationship. Yeah. And this time around she seems to want to build it on honesty. And you do feel like for Maeve in particular, she's been the only girl for so long. She seems to have been under Homelander's thumb for a long, long time. For her to be able to get out and and to actually be real with somebody and have somebody know who she is mm. and not this persona. Because Homeland, Homelander has no alter ego. He is Homelander. No, yeah, he's, he's not. He does not give a shit. For yeah. a lot of them, it seems to be that way. A-Train's the same. A-Train is everything. Mm. You know, he doesn't even have like, what the fuck is A-Train's actual name? I think it has been given at some point. I think point, his brother does remember. call him it, but yeah. like that's his whole persona. That's everything he is. For Maeve, that's not everything she is. No. She's been caught up in it for a long, long time, but now she's beginning to realise like that's it's not the be-all and end-all. No, and where 
where Maeve and Annie and even the Deep, because he refers to himself as Kevin sometimes, would see themselves... No, he doesn't refer to himself as Kevin. The guilds refer to him as Kevin. But he, well, he allows himself to be referred to as the Kevin as often as he does Deep or the Deep. The Kevin? <laughs> the Kevin. Yeah, where where they're all, they all seem to see themselves as... She's Andy January 1st and, and Starlight is the superhero. Maeve is, is well, I don't know if Maggie Shaw is the real name or not, but Maeve thinks of herself as a person and then the superhero. Yeah, whereas for Paul the boys, Lander. it always seems, it, it's like this is everything that they are. Mm. And you do get a lot of that in this episode with Homeland and you get to see a lot of his psyche because he refers well, to himself as a god. That's what exactly, the, that's where I was going was, was they all see themselves as, as Kevin or as Annie or as Maggie. Mm. He sees himself as Homelander. He has never been John he, you know, he never wanted to be John. He has always been Homelander. And you can see that come out in his interactions with Ryan because he doesn't want Ryan to be... He doesn't want Ryan to go through what he went through with no mom or kid. But he also doesn't want Ryan to be turned into a normal kid either. His motivation with Ryan is really, really weird because at the end of the last episode, you see him flying off. He has a bit of a fucking tantrum and flies off. Yeah. And shows and up, shows up at Becca's house, yeah. So in this, when he shows up, he's outside playing catch with them. And when Ryan misses the catch, you can see the glitching on his face. Yeah, it's he seems to have an idea in his head of how this is all going to go. He's and like, it's well, going to be happy is, families. This is my son. So obviously he must be amazing at everything. And that's yeah. when he's, he's like, oh, come on, you have to use your powers. And that's when he finds out that Ryan has never been shown how to use his powers. He has the conversation with Becca where Becca's like, well, we, we thought it would be best to raise him as normally as possible. And he's like, who? Who's they? Who's, yeah, who's we? Who's we? And it's like, well, obviously that's going back to the previous conversation he had had with Vogelbaum, which was about never taking a child from its parents. Mm. That this is what they're trying to do this time, that they want him to be normal. And Becca's like tolerating him being there. She doesn't want to spook him. She knows how dangerous he is. Yeah, it, yeah I don't think it's tolerating which, so much as it is treading on eggshells. Yeah, well, you get to see that then when she drops Ryan off for his piano lesson and she like... Boots it <laughs> across whatever yeah. compound this seems to be. It seems to be some sort of uh, Truman Show type gel. thing. Yeah, only it's not a big dome because the Truman yeah, Show is a big studio. It's a walled-in, like it's a walled-in thing. Community yeah, it's Jurassic purely Park for the purpose of of keeping this child. Ryan. Yeah, um, and boots it off and demands to talk to Doctor Park, and then he, you get the phone call, which is like, "Oh, we think he'll just get bored and leave. Mm. Like he'll just wander off to something else." <laughs> yeah. And she comes back, you know, and he's like, oh, piano lessons on the show. It's really fucking creepy, but they're just trying to, pl- like, placate her. Well, I don't even think, no, they're not concerned with placating her. They, As your man says, he goes, we can't, the toothpaste can't be put back in the tube now. No. So they may have had a deal with her in the past of... She'd never see him she'd again. She'd never see him again. And be allowed to have a somewhat normal life with, with, yeah, with Ryan. Yeah, and they're like, well, look, <laughs> that can't be honoured anymore. And we can't, you know, the Homelander's pissed off that we hid it from him in the first oh, place. That We're was, not going to tell him. That moment when he's like, yes, well, Homelander's obviously like very upset that this was concealed from him. <laughs> yeah. And then we feel it's best not to further antagonize him. No, because he'll rip your head off and then set the house on fire. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can like, see Like impulse control is not big on his list of things. No, no. Like he throws a tantrum and like literally breaks all the toys. But I do... One of the things that I really like about this season and where it goes is the Homelander Ryan stuff because it's equal parts I want to make you a super pirate hero mm-hmm. and equal parts I actually just want to be your dad. 
And it's the I just want to be your dad stuff. There's not too much of it in this episode. No. You get a little bit of it when he opens up to him and tells him, I didn't actually have yeah, a dad. Yeah, well, when they're outside playing catch and he's telling the story about, oh, my dad had this, that, and the other. And he, mm. he, when he, as he's telling it, it's like, it, it's very, very rehearsed. Yeah, it's the usual spiel. Um, So you can tell that that's from whatever scripted story yeah, he had yeah. you know he's got they've obviously he can't be going around being like oh well for the first 18 years of my life I was kept in a lab and monitored yeah he said when they're, they're he's putting Ryan to bed and he he does he opens up to him and he says well actually I never did that with my dad because I never had a dad and, and I didn't I have a mom I never had a mom and you can see Ryan's like really and, and it's actually it's the first time that Ryan's I think Ryan can sense that, that Homeland is being honest or being you know vulnerable and it, Ryan opens up to him a little bit and is like really and he says yeah you know and it was very lonely and then he turns it and tells him gods shouldn't have to feel lonely yeah. <laughs> and yeah basically says look you and me we're gods we can do whatever we want and nobody can stop us and that's a great feeling and it's it's and a little bit terrifying he tells him he loves him and he's like you can say it back he basically forces him to tell him that he loves him yeah and yeah he he wants to play happy families but he's effectively holding becca hostage and yeah i think ryan can sense that well, yeah not. his mom is very clearly on edge and extremely mm. uneasy about this this man and it doesn't matter that he's wearing this shiny suit if you've never been exposed to anything like that in your life, which he, mm. he seems, she seems to have kept everything away from him and he's aware of superheroes, but to have this man show up, like just in general, to have somebody show up who's like, I can fly and I can do all this stuff and you're my kid. You're my kid and you can do it too. And I'm just going to be in your house and your mom really, like the your mom who is the centre of any child's yeah, world. And has never talked about me before. Who is clearly looks like upset even though she's trying to put a good face on it all. Yeah. Like you can, like she is uncomfortable and he's aware of this cause, because whenever she asks him to do something, he's up and gone. Yeah, like when she says come in and do the maths. She's, she's like, he's only too happy gone. to run in and do maths. Yeah. And being forced to spend time with this strange person as well. Mm. No. Just because they're related to you doesn't mean that you're going to open up to them straight away or have like this relationship straight away. And he wants that. He wants to arrive, be like, I'm your dad and everything be perfect. But he doesn't realize that you can't start relationships like that. No. Because he's completely rela- dysfunctional. Yeah, every, well, every relationship human. he had has been stage managed, and yeah. you know what I mean. So he he has this idea of happy families, but he has no idea how to get it there. And it's one of the things that I actually really, really enjoy about season two is is the Homelander Ryan. Yeah, dynamic. no, it is, it is, um, and, it's good. But to see him as well trying to control his anger and trying not to be frustrated because he needs Ryan to be on his side because mm. he's like, if I alienate this person who's my only blood relative, whatever, he's like my kid. Mm. Like, he can't alienate him. And he can't get mad at him. It's interesting as well that he never directly threatens Rebecca. When You know, when he's saying about... He mentions about Billy and how they had a deal that they would keep him alive. He doesn't explicitly say Billy, but he says... Yeah, we'll keep him alive. You know, that that he's out walking around. And that was the deal, was that Billy would stay alive and she'd let him come and see Ryan. Yeah. And then after the bit where he tells Ryan they're gods and they have another little bit of a powwow, again, he doesn't threaten her, but he does threaten to tell Ryan about that he's been kept, you know, in yeah. this compound his whole life. He does, Yeah, but he, he doesn't threaten her, which is interesting because at some level he obviously believes that she should, that Ryan should have a mother around. Yeah, you know, well, he, he, kno- he knows he it. didn't, and he knows it was wrong. So he doesn't want to take that away from from her either, or from him. Sorry, yeah. he doesn't want to take R- Ryan's mom away. 
but yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of the more fun bits of this season, I think. Yeah. Also, I want to know where that town is. The town. I would oh, love yeah, to yeah. have seen more of the town because I got this like real like I I just would have liked to have seen more of the interactions in the town and to see how far Vought would have gone to maintain the charade. Mm, well, he's got he's homeschooled anyway. He's so got we know a piano he's, teacher. He's got a piano teacher. She's going off to have coffee with somebody else. Mm. There must be facilities in the town, but mm. I would have liked to have seen more of of the town just to get a, a sense of is it like a very small rural rural community, which would have made more sense. That's or yeah, yeah that's kind of the impression. Because he talks I got. about not having friends and he's homeschooled. Mm-hmm. The impression I got off it was that it was basically just whatever they need. So there is probably a shop and somebody who runs the shop. There's probably a doctor. They've got a piano teacher. Yeah, they might have like some kind of sports coach. They have whatever yeah. they need. They probably no, have a mechanic just, because there's car. You know. Yeah. No. It just it it just for a mm. personal. It would have been nice to to maybe see a little bit more of the town setting. Yeah. And no. To see totally the, the interaction it. in that because it would have been it would have been fun to see if there was like old vault employees. Yeah, yeah, like there? that's the cushy number that they get. When yeah, they, is this a cushy number when you retire or like you've had something <laughs> yeah. horrific happen to you? Yeah, so I'd have liked to have seen, like, say, um, any of the ones that got da- damaged oh, I in, know. like, season one. Oh, like, one. Seth, after Seth got his dick broke off, did he go and work there for six months just as, like, a, a as library Riku? store yeah, character yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, this where they, is this where, like, all VOD employees, like, get shipped <laughs> off to? Yeah. I just, I would have liked to have seen how far Vought would go to mm. maintain this. Because that's a big-ass wall. That's like it, Jurassic Park levels of yeah, wall going on there. It is definitely something that I thought about when we were watching the season. I thought about the logistics of that little town as well. Try and not to if, get hung if, up on it. But if, yeah, but also like, she's like, oh, the piano lessons are an hour. And she drives there. She has maybe a two, three minute conversation and then drives back. And they're like, yeah, you'd want to hurry back his... If the hours are up, the hour is almost yeah. up. So obviously it's a big area that they have. Well, big enough as well that uh, I'm guessing you can't see those external walls from Ryan No, well it all seems Becca's to be house. well anywhere kind of outside of New York, you're into mountains. Uh so it is that kind of very forestry, it would be remote. But I think we might be getting bogged down in in, in town logistics. Or, yeah, in, in unnecessary logistics. <laughs> and at this point, I think the only thing we haven't talked about is our, our favourite. Oh, the poor Deep. The Deep going on his personal journey this episode. He, yeah, he's been doing out the workbook that he was handed at the start of the first one. And she's going down through the, the things he's filled in. And he has to do like a little drawing, a little self-portrait of himself. And he's got no shirt on and he's got like the six pack. Yeah, and he's she's... sitting there with his arms crossed, with his legs crossed on the chair, and he's all yeah. like, "Oh, did I do well? Did I get the answers right?" And <laughs> she's like, "There's no wrong answers. There's no right or wrong answers." And then she turns around the little self portrait, and is like, "What's wrong with this? What's missing?" And he's like, "Nope, nope. That's what I'm supposed to look like. That's yeah. great. That's everything." And she's getting frustrated with him, and he just wants to do. He just wants to know if he did the right thing. Did, <laughs> he did he's it. like, "Did I do well? Do I get a gold star?" I love, I love how exasperated she is because I guess we're talking about a person who inducts people into a cult for a living. Yeah, and she's turning around to Eagle the Archer when he comes in, and she's like, "I can't, I can't do anything with him. He is just a fucking empty, vapid. He's like, a vassal. Nothing, yeah, like, and I just." The idea of a, a cult recruiter finding somebody that that, that even, can't be recruited that even they couldn't get to her. <laughs> so the eagle put, comes in and puts down two six packs of fresca. Yeah, 
and uh, and decides that what's better than Fresca for getting people into his cult is a good healthy dose of hallucinogens. Yeah, well, that's it. He's like, no, I've I've got the thing, and he makes him some shroom tea. Yeah, doesn't leave it to Steve for very long. No. And what? your man like and and Deep just like scolds it. Deep's like, like, oh cool, I haven't had mushrooms in. <laughs> Deep just thinks it's just yeah, yeah. we're taking mushrooms. Now. Yeah, taking shrooms. Last time and I then... took mushrooms was at a Goo Goo Doll concert. I was like, that's not the place I'd be going to take mushrooms. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then when he Ooh, surrounded by lame, flashy lights and noise and a crowd of people. No, he looks at Eagle and is like, you're not gonna have any because he just assumed, oh, we're taking a bunch of drugs now. Yeah. Woohoo! Drug time. <laughs> and Eagle's like, no, no, they're just for you. Locks him in a room. <laughs> that is the worst thing you can do to somebody who's taking hallucinogenics. It's like, here, no, you're going to get locked in this room by yourself. Enjoy that freak out. Yeah. Although, if... if, if At I... least give him access to a bathroom as well, because that in the bathroom is going to be necessary. <laughs> well, he's already apologised for wrecking Eagle's bathroom yeah. once. So I don't know if he was going to let him have access to his bathroom while on mushrooms. Yeah, oh yeah, but you're all right locking him in your bedroom with <laughs> access to your clothes and shit. <laughs> But he proceeds to go on. No, he must have given him a massive dose because he's just, well, he's hallucinating, but it's his gills talking to him. Yeah, played by Patton Oswalt. Yeah. And they move. They do. They, they like, they make little, like, talky faces because he's like, unzip your top. Unzip your top. Look at me. Mm. Look at me. Uh, Not in quite as creepy as Homelander being like, look at me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and it's not the, definitely not the creepiest thing that we've had happen to happen him involving his gills. But it was it was nice to see for the development for the character as well. This acceptance of this part this, of himself that he thinks is, is disgusting. Well, yeah, that and and when the gills are talking to him about the oh, bang, finger banging your one backstage at the Golden Globes. Or, no, was that like VH1 Teacher of the and Year awards or something something like educator that? Educator of the Year. Educator of the Year, yeah. But that his whole thing is that he's so petrified of being made fun of that he degrades he other people before they have the chance to degrade him. Yeah. And we talked about this in season one podcast, I can't remember what episode, that he probably got teased a shitload by teenage girls he when he was in school. He probably got shit bullied out Yeah, probably got like super bullied. The weird fish kid. Come on, when you yeah. think about it, when you think back to Waterworld, when that car crash of a film came out and he's only got like the two little gills behind his ears oh and he's a complete outcast and but everybody was like oh my god he's got gills and web feet he looks like a freak yeah in a world and in that a world was people, covered by water the guy with the gills is the yeah. outcast yeah he's got a, like they're big ass gills they are. that is like I'm, again there was no from what I gather from American high schools there is no escaping the showers yeah communal sharing which to me uh, who was a very very awkward uh, very very shy socially anxious teenager mm. we don't have that here in Ireland the idea of that and my awkward fucking teenage self yeah. having to get naked in front of a group of people I didn't even want to be around fully clothed certainly is just horrifying with V it doesn't seem to be like say in, in other Marvel or DC comic books where some people might not get their powers till later in life or when they become a he teenager. He seems to have been born with It them. seems to be, yeah, like we saw the, the baby pictures of Translucent in last week's episode. Oh my God, the baby. Just, <laughs> where it's just the, the romper being yeah, held up. Yeah, just an invisible bear, an empty baby girl being yeah. held up. That Yeah, these powers, and A-Train talked about outrunning a bullet when he was a toddler. Yeah. So these powers manifest And early. he talks about blinding the doctors. Blinding as soon the doctors. As, as soon as he's born. <clears throat> and we saw Laser Baby. 
Laser baby, yeah. So either they're injecting so them deep... with them, they're like fairly well. Obviously, they're injecting them when they're babies. But they manifest. whether they're inve- injecting them in utero or postnatal, it's within the first six months of life that they're doing this. Okay? Yeah, and, and, and powers seem to manifest very quickly. So yeah. Deep's had those gills or, since he was a baby. Yeah, well, they were saying that they either seem to manifest early on and then develop and become stronger during puberty as well. So poor Deep, he's got he's. You know, if he's like every other teenager, he was having back knee, his voice was cracking, he had gills. <laughs> yeah. It's just not good. It's like, can you imagine the training tape? You know, so your body's going through changes. <laughs> yeah. You might discover more hair. You might discover new appendages. But and I think it's something we talked about again in season one. These sort of scenes with the deep that humanize him and that 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 make him more a kind of a likable character. They don't not ex- likable so much as sympathetic. He is very yeah, much a product of his but, upbringing. But they don't. You never get the impression that the show is trying to excuse his actions. No, they might explain them, and yeah. certainly what his lungs or sorry, what his gills are saying to him explain it. What he did to Annie was the same as what he did to that teacher was the same as yeah. what he's done to countless girls before him. And it doesn't excuse those actions, but it gives it's you certain some to explain them. Yeah, it gives you an explanation for them. And by him acknowledging it, it's going to allow him to grow as a character and as a person. And, and I do, I love the deep. He's so much fun. And the nice thing as well about that is that it's an almost realistic mushroom trip because it's extremely cathartic for him. Oh yeah, the, and there are more and more studies coming out nowadays about the benefits of microdosing. Oh yeah, and of using hallucinogens as forms of yeah. therapy in different ways. But it does it's, it's extremely cathartic for him when the gills start singing "You Are Beautiful." I could have done uh, without that, but I just don't like music. I, you I don't, don't like, like that. Numbers. You don't like musical numbers. But then he starts singing along. I really, really, really wanted there to be a shot of Eagle and Carol sitting on the sofa in the sitting room and just being able to hear deep singing "You Are Beautiful" to himself, just as a little like juxtaposition to this incredibly emotional scene that's going on. To have the pair of them kind of sitting there and being like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, no, that I would have liked to have seen that as well. In fact, I, I. You thought it was going to to them outside it, but apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah, so the deep got to take a nice little mushroom trip. Yeah, yeah. Went on a little journey of self discovery. Annie's just being a fucking ice cold bitch. Yeah, and and has to go back to uh, walking that tightrope now that A trains. Yeah, back up and around. But she uh, has she has some shit to hold her A train, so she's like happy out. She's got she's starting to get dirt on everybody, which is nice. Mm. Maeve is having a bit of an emotional breakthrough and well Maeve is either having an emotional breakthrough or starting to have an emotional breakdown. <laughs> yeah. It's it's and not clear yet which way on the seesaw that is going to go. Yeah. And we got a little bit more Stormfront. Yeah. As well. To get a little bit, to which is still confusing. Her. Like Stormfront well, Stormfront's extremely confusing as a character for motivations. They ramp her up this season. We got like a tiny bit of her in the first episode. We got a bit more of her in this episode. Yeah. And we get more and more of her as it goes on. But uh, I think that works better that they don't. Yeah. It's not all about her from the beginning. Like, you know what I mean? They're, they're trying to. Yeah. And you're as conf- the audience is as confused as mm. everybody, as everybody who's interacting with her is. But yeah, no, I, the first episode was a strong start for season two mm. and I feel like they continued on strong with this episode. 
This episode was quite different to season one because generally there's not a lot of overlap between the story arcs. This mm. was extremely separate. The boys were doing their own thing. Yeah, there was very little. The only time you get anything is when Annie texts Huey and there's not even a response to that. Mm. It's very, very, it's the first time that they've gone completely separate and it's all been based in Vought. Yeah, it's the Vought side and the, the superhero side and, and never the twain shall meet in this episode at least. Well, the Vault side and the boys' side. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got Homelander who's rocking on doing his own thing. Mm. So it was um, very interesting as well from that because one side, all the stuff going on with the boys was very dark. It was at night or under extremely mm. harsh lighting because it's in a yeah. parking garage. And then with the Vault, you've got the whole sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. Here's yeah, the front facade we put up yeah. and then behind the scenes. So it's fun to see that as well. It was a nice it was a nice change in, of pace as well to not have the storylines intertwine. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. And everything did keep fairly separate. Yeah. Even the stuff with like Maeve as well. Once Maeve left the girls, that was her. She was outside doing yeah. stuff with Elena for the rest of the episode. And it, it was nice but, to kind of see that just the day-to-day, this is what Annie's been getting up to. Mm. This is what a normal day is like in Vaughn. And uh, Stormfront makes a reference to that when she says, come on, we got to go back to was it teasing these guys' dicks before we can do our real jobs. Yeah. So even Stormfront's like that. we got to go and do all this fucking bullshit media stuff mm. before we can go about saving people. Meanwhile, but, before she says that, she had been talking about her little like plastic toy and being like, don't buy this big hunk of plastic that's going to end up in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. This big titted hunk of plastic. Yeah. But no, I think we'll have to leave it there. But as ever, guys, we are Monorants. Thank you for joining us. And you can find all our episodes on all the podcasting hosts. And you can find us on Twitter at RantsMono or you can email us at monorantspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review if you'd like as well. And otherwise, we will be back next week. Bye-bye, guys. Bye.